This is Clem, a.k.a. the Many Snacks guy from Barstool Sports. BarstoolSports.com. Is that right? BarstoolSports.com. And you were listening to The Bridge with John Lund. Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast bringing you this sports show. What's it like to work at Barstool Sports? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 75 of the bridge (laughs) greetings and salutations everyone welcome back to another installment of the bridge coming to you live on sports radio america every wednesday night 7 to 8 p.m eastern time to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. It's not breaking any news to say that the Major League Baseball regular season is a long one, and that only becomes more apparent during the dog days of summer. Many teams will do whatever they can to stay loose, and the Houston Astros did just that, holding a fake funeral in remembrance of a baseball glove. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. Houston Astros are the best team in the American League and have been having quite a bit of fun in getting to that level. Such was the case this past Monday when the entire team paid homage to one of its fallen, a baseball glove. 40-year-old Carlos Beltran is well past his days of wielding a gold glove and has spent the back end of his career primarily used as a designated hitter. His year with the Astros has been no exception, with only nine of his 77 starts this season not at DH. Beltran hasn't roamed the outfield since May 16th 
when the designated hitter spot was unavailable against the Marlins. So instead of piling up more locker room dust, Beltran's glove was given the send-off it well deserved. Before batting practice against the Mariners on Monday, the Astros donned black t-shirts and gathered in center field of Minute Maid Park around catcher Brian McCann, who wore a black robe to officiate the service before delivering a eulogy in remembrance of the glove. The glove was then laid to rest in a white shoebox, which was placed on the grass in front of three fake gravestones that were planted by George Springer. Though the Astros went on to lose the game to the Mariners, Beltran was thankfully able to collect himself for the contest, even hitting a two-run home run, perhaps as a final way to honor his fallen friend. I'm John Lund. For sports news, red like real news. Let's take a quick break to go play catch. When we come back, we'll talk to a blogger, podcaster, and snack connoisseur about working at Barstool Sports. We'll be right back on the bridge keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text in your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know, who is your favorite personality at Barstool Sports and why? Just a quick housekeeping note about the show this week. As you could have guessed by now, our guest is none other than Justin Clemenza. Clem, as you know him from Barstool Sports. Clem is one of my favorite bloggers on the site and favorite personalities and all the additional things he does in podcasts and videos and the like. And I don't know how I continue to get this lucky in booking guests. So when Clem even said that he was honored to come on to the bridge because of the other guests that have been on the show in the past, I had a similar reaction to Big Cats when he found out Larry too had died live on Barstool Radio. How Are you fucking serious, bro? You look like shit. The only problem, if any, for this week is the length of the show, though in a way that's a pretty good problem to have. Instead of breaking up the interview into two parts and two separate shows like I have done in the past, I decided to just include everything under one roof and leave up the option to just pause the show, take a little break before what would have been part two. In the first half of the interview, you'll hear Clem's full story of how he got started working in sports, the early days of starting a blog and eventually working with KFC Radio and Barstool New York, before moving up to write for the site full-time, convincing his wife to becoming a full-time blogger for Barstool Sports, 
what it's like working for Barstool and how the company has changed in the past year or so. That will run you into the 50 minutes mark or so and would be a good time to grab some snacks, maybe grab a Riptide Rush Gatorade and prep yourself for what would be part two. In the second half, Clem will talk about anything and everything that he's done and continues to do for Barstool Sports. That includes his trip to Latvia to learn about the life of Kristaps Porzingis, a story that left me in tears on the other end here. His love for Bruno Mars and favorite songs, his 15-second snack reviews and favorite snacks, the Podfathers podcast and his favorite story of fatherhood, his Game of Thrones podcast, his Twitter name and profile picture, what a typical day is like, and so much more as well. As I said, the episode does run a little long, but Clem was incredibly kind with his time and open about everything he's done for The Stool so far. I hope you enjoy hearing about it as much as I did, and if you do, you can also make a quick trip over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review the Bridge Sports Podcast, and hopefully you'll come back here again in the future. You can follow Clem on Twitter. He's at the Clem Report. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Justin Clemenza. You know him as Clem, a writer for Barstool Sports or co-host for the Podfathers and No Quitters podcast. You might also know him as the Clem Report on Twitter and on YouTube for the best 15-second snack reviews in the game. Clem, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Excited to be here. Not a problem at all. It's great to get to talk to you. And as I mentioned before we came on here, you're one of my favorite, I guess as they're called now, personalities at Barstool Sports. And we (laughs) will get into all the fun things that you're able to do for a job. But I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit and work up how you ended up getting there, starting with some humble beginnings of sorts at Siena College. What's interesting of your working background is you were actually able to get a career started in the sports world, though not necessarily on the writing side of things until you ended up at Barstool, but still getting to have a hand in sports, something that you wanted to do from a young age. Could you give a Cliff Nose version of sorts of how your career path after college moved to you getting behind the keyboard with Barstool? Yeah, for sure. And if I ramble on too much, just let me know. Sometimes I lose myself and I, the years get messed up. I'm an old man. I'm 35 now. Like Once you're 35, you can't be – it's not your fault that your brain wanders. It's just – I'm at the expiration date, basically. <laughs> I'll keep that in um, mind as we go along. No problem. <laughs> so, yeah, so like you said, I was a Siena College grad. Um, even before, I went to Seton Hall my freshman year of college, and I went – one of the big reasons I went to Seton Hall – was because they had a sports management program. And that covered, you know, anything. You know, if you want to be a sports writer or get in, like, you know, a front office, the whole nine. It's basically for kids that don't know what the hell they want to do, but they want to work in sports. So that's that's how I started out. First year there, didn't like it. Had just a – I don't know how to explain it. I, I just didn't have a good time. It was a commuter college, Greek life. I wasn't into a frat. So there wasn't really going to be a way for me to, like, have some fun. So I said, you know, I'm going to go to Siena, business degree, got out. Here I am. I need to make money to get out of college. You know, after I get out of college, got to make money to kind of pay the bills. And I was lucky enough. I guess I guess lucky. It's a job. My first ever job out of college was working for the New York Liberty. James Dolan as my boss. 
selling group tickets to the New York Liberty. So that was my first job out of college. So when I started at the bottom of the ladder, I'm talking temp jobs, trying to peddle New York Liberty tickets, cold calling people. Started from the bottom, now we hear kind of the stuff. Did that for like four, four months, I believe. I think they said I had the highest ticket sales in a two-week period. But since I live all the way up, I live in Putnam County, which is like, you know, door-to-door, it's about a two-hour train ride down to the city and then to like, you know, the west side. I was still operating in the red when it came to, you know, just everything with the train ticket and commuting and whatever, paying for all my stuff. So I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get out of here and just try to find another job. And I've always been pretty good with computers. So I got lucky enough. I was applying to a billion jobs, sports industry, not sports industry, just to make money. My parents were starting to be like this bump on the couch that we just acquired back in our lives after four years away is not going anywhere got lucky enough to find a job through Craigslist. It was working at Sporting News. It was actually sportingnews.com. And um, it was sportingnews.com, the fantasy website. So fantasy games, your typical draft and trade games like we have now. And then also salary cap games. And people would put money in and win money off of it. And I was kind of just a customer service guy. The guy you'd yell at if, you know, something was broken. Our site would go down like every other weekend. Right as games were about to start, people would curse at us, tell us moves they wanted us to make the whole nine, and then, you know, we give out prizes and all stuff. I was the guy in charge. Me and this other guy, Brent, were in charge of everything there. For about a year, year and a half, I was at Sporting News, very happy, obviously. Still, make, you know, I'm making peanuts, but at that point, what are you really spending money on? I got an apartment in the city uh, with a couple of buddies, and, you know, you're drinking half your, half your paycheck, you know, just going out, having a good time, whatever. And they moved to Charlotte. So I was not moving to Charlotte because my girlfriend, now my wife, said, I'm not going to Charlotte and neither are you. And I said, all right. <laughs> so stayed in New York, got my severance. First thing I did with my severance was buy a 50-inch flat-screen TV because the Mets were actually good that year. It was 2006. And then applied to about a million jobs. And luckily for me, the way kind of um, things happened to, to, to break, when we – when I was at Sporting News, we always had this issue where, you know, like I said, we'd have things break, we'd have things, you know, issues that would, that, you know, at launch or even during the game that could have been prevented. So we started testing stuff before we launched it. And they kind of had the customer service guys do it because, you know, it wasn't a very big department. Probably our tech department, including the program, was probably about eight, eight, ten people deep max. So I started testing stuff. So when I'm sending out resumes, again, sports and non-sports jobs, you know, I, I, I got lucky I was working in sports. It wasn't by that. It was just those were the people that happened to, you know, contact me back. ESPN sees my resume, and they see that I was testing websites in the whole nine. They said, hey, we have this QA job, quality assurance, which if you don't know what it is, don't worry. I didn't know what it was when I was getting interviewed for it. Basically, whenever a new product will come out on ESPN, you go, you give it to the QA guys, quality assurance. They test it, make sure, you know, the bugs are all out. I'm a sports fan. I'm going to say, hey, you know, this this is broken. This doesn't look right. You know, there's certain things where it's just like, you know, there could be something where, say, the logos are looking the wrong way or just like something where it doesn't look right to you. And as a sports fan, you can just kind of call it out right away. Like, we shouldn't be showing these stats here. We should be showing these stats here instead. Just little things like that as well. So design stuff you know, functionality stuff, whatever. Get hired at ESPN. That was the winter of 2006, I believe. And then I was at ESPN for about seven years. Tried to, like, move up, 
get into different departments, the whole thing. The problem was I was based in New York. The Bristol is obviously the main campus for everything. They had a bunch of, at that point, they had, a, you know, probably four city offices. And then they had a bunch of offices around the country. But Bristol was the main one. And you kind of, for anyone who's in the Cube job, the Cube life, if you're not in the corporate headquarters, it makes things a lot harder to kind of move up, get your name out there, all that kind of stuff. Um, worked there for about seven years. You know, the thing about ESPN is had great people you worked with. A lot of the people are similar to you. They're obviously big sports fans. They know their stuff. You know, everything that's a sports holiday to you is a sports holiday to them. Young crew, the whole nine. Had met some great people there. Um, but then there was a time where it was basically they told me I either had getting you know laid off i had just bought a house with my wife and uh i said uh, again same wife that told me i wasn't moving to charlotte she said you're not moving to bristol and i said all right well we'll see what we can find here i was unemployed for i don't know how long ago it was a little while and in that time she told me she was pregnant so i had a baby away a mortgage and i was just working at my dad's uh, local pool store here different syrups pools shout out yorktown heights new york Kind of just trying to make ends meet, do what I can. And um, after after I had gotten laid off at ESPN, you know, I was a Barstool fan. I've, I've read Barstool for a while. And I remember Dave would always, Portnoy, Dave Portnoy, he would periodically post once every six months or a year, if you want to write for Barstool, this is how you write, how you get to Barstool. You start a blog as if it's your own, you know, put it in your voice, which, you know, obviously should be in the Barstool kind of ilk, if you may. And... Go from there, and if you if you think it's good, once you think it's ready, send it into this email address, and if it's good, we're going to hit you back. If not, then you know either keep going or whatever. And that's kind of what I did in the meantime. I would I, I started a blog, the Clum Report, like you said, it was theclumreport.com, which is still up on WordPress. I had to keep it out for all that hard work I did. Started my Twitter, the Clum Report, and you know I had Twitter for a while, and I would you know when I first started tweeting, I was doing hot takes just sounding like an idiot like you know i think everyone does when they first start twitter and they think they know everything in there and then i say you know what i have to kind of refine like i have to do a better job at making my twitter interesting but i said at the same point no one knows who the club report is my name isn't attached there no one who knows who justin clemens is so i can kind of just kind of give it you know the direct uncut you know take almost and um i always compare it to the scene in howard stern private parts which i don't know how many people have actually you know, seeing that, you know, I think as an older guy, I've seen it. Some other people may not, but there's a scene where he kind of just says, you know, everything's coming apart. He's pissed off. He hates his job, the whole nine. And he just kind of snaps and he just starts, he basically goes from just a regular DJ that's just doing DJ stuff to just straight up, like becoming who Howard Stern is today. And, and I just did that. Like, I just, you start throwing curse words at you, you know, you just start trying to be funny, but you're just like, just being yourself too, at the same point, not just doing some typical hot take nonsense. I started, you know, you get some followers here, there, maybe you get some retweets. I would obviously tweet at the Barstool guys because I really loved reading them. If you kind of feel like you know them, you know, just uh, the website, it's in Twitter and whatnot. And in the meantime, I happened to get lucky. KFC, who runs New York, you know, I'd, I'd talk to him here and there and we tweet at each other. I didn't really think anything of it. And I keep working my blog. I think I might have submitted it once or twice throughout maybe a year. Never heard anything. And then um, one day... Brendan Clancy, Kevin's brother, who, you know, would run the KFC radio podcast, said, um, hey, we're running this podcast that was, you know, run through Barstool, but they would host it on their KFCradio.com page. He's like, would you be interested in writing for us kind of like as a blog? 
So we have people come for the blogs or they come for the podcast and they stay for the other thing, whatever. And I said, that would be awesome. Like, I wasn't thinking, you know, I thought, hey, maybe this will get something down the road. But I was just like, you know what? It's just more potential eyeballs. It's something that will be fun. These guys obviously are the same books that I have. And I was like, yeah, let's go. So me and this other guy, Brendan, St. Brendan on Twitter, shout out if you're listening to St. Brendan. We both started writing there. We'd kind of just write up our blogs on, if you see a story, a big whatever, so something happens in a game, a tweet, whatever, you know, kind of whatever you see on Barstool or whatever, just like I would do on my blog. i just throw up a blog for there. We'd send it to Brendan Clancy. And if he wanted to put it up, he'd throw it up on the site. And, you know, it was almost, I didn't realize it at the time, but Kevin and Brendan had almost set it up as like a minor leagues. So it was kind of like I was going out to prove myself. He didn't want to just throw me on the site there. He didn't know me. He'd never met me or anything like that. You know, he might have thought I had some, some talent or something, but he didn't know. And he said, hey, we'll throw them on here. We'll kind of polish his stuff up. And um, after about, I think about three or four months writing on there, uh, Kevin came up to me and said, or, you know, emailed me or whatever. And was like, hey, if you want to kind of be the, the part-time Knicks guy, I'd love to have you just as the guy who, you know, you're right about the Knicks. And we have, you know, part-time guys at Barstool. We have guys who do baseball, different baseball teams, different football teams. I wrote for free, you know, not making a dime off it. It was basically just trying to prove myself. Kevin said, you write the Knicks. You know, anything happens in Knicks land, whether it's like a big, you know, the Knicks tire fire, there's no shortage of stories that they're going to ever come out with. But anything like that, just kind of go on your own, write about them. And if anything is a really good story breaks on like a Saturday, because Saturday was kind of a slow day with Barstool, you know, it was a weekend and whatnot. He's like, you can kind of take it on your own. If you, if you want to write it, write it, tell me. And if it's good, I'll, you know, edit it and throw it up on the site. And he's like, and Sundays are kind of just for football. So that wouldn't be you. And I said, all right, cool. So what I did was did the Knicks, did like Saturdays whenever like a good story would come out. And, you know, the way I went about it was, again, I was, I was working for my dad for peanuts, just kind of keep, you know, tread and water with the house baby on the way the whole nine. And I ended up, you know, just kind of, I, I, I wanted barstool, but I didn't ever need barstool. That's kind of the way I, I would always say to people who ever wanted to write for barstool, you have to want it, but you can't need it. Cause if you need it, then you're getting desperate and you can't just be desperate for it. So I wanted it. But at the same point, I was just working my job. I ended up getting a job through um, an old ESPN employee that I had known. He was an old manager at, at my job when I was working at ESPN. He went to USA Today Sports, and he was in charge of the content there in terms of he was the product side of things. And he said, hey, we're launching this new USA Today Sports product. It's going to be in the USA Today Sports app, only USA Today Sports, you know, no other, like, separate than from the typical regular app of USA Today. You'd be in charge of a story comes in. If you think it's good, you put it in the app. You put a headline on it. You put a picture on it little blurb you tweet out whenever games are closed that was kind of a thing sports psa is the twitter great twitter follow that at sports psa i'm not saying that because they ain't paying me but it's a good one they'll tell you like hey warriors and Cavs are it's a five-point game with two minutes left and they'll tweet it out you put on your notifications and obviously if it's the finals you're going to know that but if it's a game in december there could be a good game that's on like a national you know televised thing or something they would throw that out. Um, we did a bunch of other stuff. We create graphics. I kind of learned a little about writing, a little about, um, I learned a little bit about Photoshop, all that kind of stuff. I was at USA Today from basically like, I think it was New Year's of 2015. I was right around November of 2015 is when uh, Kevin reached out to me. I've been you know, writing up the Knicks for about a year plus at that point. And he's like, hey, man, I just talked to Dave. He said he'd be interested in having you come on and doing more for Barstool. 
And I said, all right, cool. Like, I'd, I'd love to, um, I was thinking it would be like one blog a week or a day or something, and it would be a little stipend just to, you know, have me maybe more consistently on there. And he was like, no, like, he's thinking full time. And I was like, oh, crap. And I met with Dave at a hotel in the city. So at this point, he was, I think, talking to the churning guys, and he's like, listen, there's this deal that's about to go down potentially. There's a good chance, but you, you never know. He's like, but I'd love to have you come on regardless of whether or not it comes through. If you want to be a content guy, you could just work from home and blog. Or if you want to be a blogger, if you want to be a content guy and a character on, like, Barstool, if you may, you come in the city, this and that. And at that point, I was like, I'd love to, but I'm two-hour commute. And whatever, kind of left it at that. And, I mean, I didn't tell Dave, but, I mean, he was trying to sell me on Barstool, and I was already in hook, line, and sinker. That's, that was my goal, getting in blogging. That was my goal the last few years in terms of Twitter. That was basically Barstool was the only place I wanted to work for those years and then hired me november i think november 30th was my day at barstool the way i found out i was hired at barstool or the way it got released that i was hired at barstool was it was like some like throwaway remark on the rundown they're like oh yeah uh, they're talking on the rundown and kevin said something like oh yeah uh, columbus and starts on monday and dave's like oh yeah yeah come starts on monday and then i i didn't even know about that and then i checked my twitter and like a hundred notifications of people congratulating me i'm like how the hell do they know that I'm starting on Monday? Because there was nothing announced. So, typical Barstool life. That's how I was announced that I was starting at Barstool. Crazy stuff. It's been like a year. It's almost two two years this November will be uh, how long I've been at Barstool as a full-timer. And uh, I'm telling you, there's a lot of weird lefts and rights, ups and downs. I was damn near, like, depressed. That That's by the end of my time at ESPN. I hated my job. I hated the department I was in. I love the people I was with, but... There was just no moving up possibility. I tried everything, discussing jobs, this and that, and it was just one of those things, just dead end. And you know what? In the end, it all worked out in the end. I got, like, I guess there could be dream jobs that are better than this for some people. I don't know. Like, writing about exactly what I want to write about that I would do for free. Don't tell Dave that. That's a dream job, I guess. So I'm living my dream job now, and uh, it came through work. It came through hard, hard work. It came through luck, for being honest, good timing, whatever you want to call it, but yeah, here I am. That's that's kind of the, the, the not even a clip note. That's a pretty long story, but here I am. You hit on everything, though. That was a perfect story for everything that you've been able to do to get here, and it goes a lot farther than what a LinkedIn profile might say or a brief bio that you might be yep. able to find. So definitely always interesting to hear the trials and tribulations of sorts of getting to where you want to be. And I know quitting a job to go work at Barstool wasn't necessarily as huge of a risk as it was for some of the people before you since the site was at least known and more stable than it was in the early days, but there's still risk involved. How difficult of a decision was that for you, and maybe even more difficult of a decision to have to go up to your wife and try to convince her that (laughs) you're going to be a full-time blogger at Barstool Sports? That's a great question, and that's something I should definitely touch on for sure. So for one i lived the cube life. I've lived, as KFC says, the cube monkey life. I've done the corporate stuff. Even though ESPN and Sporting News were cool and I could wear, like, you know, a college shirt and jeans every day, I didn't have to, like, get all sporty. It's still the cube job. At the end of the day, you're doing sports, but you're doing a lot of just busy work, whatever it may be. My wife knew I was unhappy. She knew I wanted to go there. When I was at USA Today, it was a good job. The hours sucked. I had to work basically four 10-hour shifts, and it would be either... 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., 2 p.m. to midnight, or 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. And my wife, A, you know, we had a new baby at that time, and it was like my schedule. I had to 
I, I couldn't just leave. I had to basically be in front of a TV nonstop in case anything broke. And any time I left the TV was when, like, you know, Kobe would retire, announce his retirement or something. So, like, I had to be there. And she knew about Boston. And she knew uh, kind of its, I don't want to say reputation, but it's like, you know, people were slant, would slander for this and that. So she was a little concerned about that at first. But then she started reading and she's like, oh, no, but these are just normal people. There's a, you know, it might be a little crude sometimes compared to other things, but. It's just what you said. It's just normal, nice guys. You know, we, it seems worse than it is. Her thing was definitely the compensation. But at USA Today, I wasn't making that much money. It wasn't like a great permanent job. It was actually, I was a freelancer technically at the time. So uh, it wasn't really, I wasn't really making a ton of money. There was no health insurance. I've always been under her health insurance. She's, she's always had better coverage than I would at any of my jobs. The big thing was, I said to her, I said, listen, it's like if they get bought by this, as it turned out, the churning group, I said, it's legitimacy. It's the whole nine. I said, it's not like it was, like you said, like back then when Dave was paying them like checks to get them through the stuff. Like there's definitely something here and trying to explain how Barstool works and like how they make their money and stuff like that. And I'm saying, you know, they have ads and I don't even know how the hell they make them. They made their money all those times, but I'm just kind of making stuff up. And she kind of was like, you know what? You worked your ass off for it. It's clearly what you want to do. And she's like, just go for it. And you know, the other thing is not like I was turning down, like, six-figure jobs somewhere else to, like, get stuff done. I said, well, I'm working from home. I'll be able to be with the baby a little bit, and it's something I've always wanted to do. And she was like, that's cool. You know, go for it. So, and, uh, you know, the thing is, there was always a joke at Barstool, like, no health insurance, and you never knew if you were going to get paid and stuff like that. And luckily, I had gone in after that. But it still was something, I think if she had known this, like, maybe a little more, she might have been a little more hesitant. But luckily, I, like, kept all little, like, jokes and things away from her, so she didn't know. So I think you married the right girl is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, dude, put that on first line of my obituary, put that on my tombstone. He married the right girl. That's, that's number one, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That she, she is the, the reason anything good basically happens. She does it. She's putting, like I said earlier, when I was talking to you, she's putting down my baby. My baby's in sleep training. She's like, like fighting a grizzly bear in there right now. And she's like, nope, go, go do the, the, the show and I'll take care of it. So. She's been the rock, like uh, a lot of wives and uh, women are in, in relationships. Well, I better send her an edible arrangements or something. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take to figure out your writing style and find your voice, know what you needed to do to write a good blog, in a sense, for Barstool Sports, especially when you started also jumping into the pop culture world, the random internet stuff that's trending world, and not just being a capital J journalist of sorts for the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, I get that a lot when people are starting their blogs and they'll ask me questions like, hey, you know, what do you recommend? What do you suggest? This and that. And honestly, like, I just kept writing. And, and I never, like, when I started writing, I was like, I'm definitely not going to be good enough for Barstool now. And you just keep going and you, keep, you take chances. And this is the thing. If you don't want your name attached to something, sometimes I recommend like kind of starting something like anonymously. So then, you know, you don't have to worry about your mom stumbling upon it or something. If she's on your Twitter or you have someone who knows you on Twitter. My, one of my first blogs, one of my blogs that really got a lot of pub was I did a full NFL preview and I compared every NFL team to a porn star, right? I couldn't do that. <laughs> right now is like my mom if I knew my mom could stumble upon that page. But you know, I'm I'm you know, I'm giving like comparisons between how Jenna Jameson's like the Cowboys or something, you know what I mean? And it's like I couldn't really do that if if I thought like my my mother in law was gonna stumble upon it. So what I always say is you just gotta take chances. You just gotta keep writing. Like 
If you see a story that you think you can make a joke on, make a joke on it. If you can write a full blog on something, write a full blog on something. And the more you do that, the repetitions and the whatever, 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell stuff, like that's probably, there's, there's definitely something to that. And, you know, it's going to change your voices. Your voice going to evolve as you do it. You're, I always, I always recommend on Twitter too. Like if you can't fit everything in like a, if you just fit something, a good joke about a story or about, you know, like the McGregor uh, Mayweather like tour. There's like a billion jokes to be made about all this crazy stuff going on. If you don't have to blog about it, just fit 140 characters. Maybe someone retweets it. You know, the right person sees it and go, oh, that guy's funny. It just sticks in their head. And, you know, I don't know if that's how Kevin spotted me, but, you know, that's, that's kind of like I would just, if I, if I saw something that I could write about, I'd say, you know what? I kind of know what I'm doing through this blog. I'm kind of developing this style. Let me try to bring it to Twitter here because getting that click is so tough. But if you keep going and going and going, and you kind of shorten it up and tighten it so people aren't scrolling through, you know, sometimes I know when I write a blog and it's four paragraphs long, people's eyes are going to glaze over before they even start scrolling down the page. You kind of have to make it a little concise because all our uh, attention spans are shot now these days with phones and Twitter and the whole nine. So, you know, it's just one of those things you just got to work on and, and, and keep finding it. You know, I honestly, like, I look at my first blogs and I'm like, oh, my God. But then there's sometimes I'm like, oh, that blog is good. And then the next blog is terrible. Sometimes it's, you have good days, you have good blogs. Sometimes you have bad days, bad blogs, even on the same day, you know? And um, it's just one of those things you got to just kind of keep doing. I think, I feel like the last six months, like my brain's become mush with my, my kids been running around more and, I'm, you know, your stuff at home. You just, you're dealing with that kind of stuff. So you're, you're definitely going to write from a different perspective as you get older and, and things change in your life. So just keep hammering at it is all I can really say. Yeah, it's definitely interesting in the blog world now. You mentioned our attention spans, unfortunately, seem to be shortening more and more as the years go on, and people don't necessarily want to read longer pieces, unfortunately, now, especially even thinking about how Barstool Sports got started with long pieces and thoughtful pieces mm -hmm. and things that you would have to turn the page to continue reading. Now people <laughs> sort of want their stuff when they want it, and they don't necessarily want to dive deep into things, even if the content is great for it. And you were able to enter Barstool into an audience that you could probably only dream of, especially as someone that started their own blog. You're making it a hundred times bigger eyes that are now going to be on what you're writing. Was there a time in the early going where you might have doubted making the move to Barstool or maybe didn't think that making that decision was a good idea just based on some negative feedback you might have seen in the comments or just how you might have perceived things going for you? Yeah, you know, like when I first started, actually, I wrote a couple blogs that Kevin would post under his name. He's like, hey, this guy Clem wrote this and he's linked to me and whatever. And I'd look at the comments. Oh, we love Clem. Oh, this is great. Blah, blah, blah. Some people didn't realize Kevin didn't write it because they didn't read a little note. Hey, see, this is the best stuff you've written in, you know, months. And I'm like, all right. And then, you know, your first blog and your 10th blog, whatever, people just crap on you. But like with the comment section, what I, what I do with them is I was told by the comment section my first day or two, you know, I quoted Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber is not a funny movie. Seinfeld stinks. This and that. I'm like, well, if they think Dumb and Dumber is not a good movie and Seinfeld is not funny, then like, I can't listen to these people's opinions because we obviously don't agree. So I just skip the comment section altogether personally. That's just the, the, the healthiest way to go about it, especially, you know, once people realize I was a gigantic human being, you just get, it's, it's just bad fat jokes. If I could, my problem with the, the, the comment section is like, I can make better fat jokes than you guys can. This is, you know, I don't find it funny if, if my fat jokes are better than yours, so I'm not going to take my time and read it. 
Um, but you know, there's, there's always doubts. This is the thing about Barcelona. That was the one like eye opening thing for me is like, I read these guys for years and I think I've honestly always felt Barcelona was like the funniest, most original company that I was reading and everyone's so unique. And you know, you're, you're, you're reading, you know, back then it was, you know, like, like they always had a core for Dave got me into it cause he's Dave. He, owns the site kevin got me into it with his met stuff and just some of his like running blogs that he would do big cat had like these original crazy zany blogs that just had me dying where he's buying ghosts and whatnot i remember k marker uh did this thing on like the manti teo story i remember was when i went from like a barstool fan to like a diehard stoolie because the manti teo story was like everyone had these like articles that like the way that barstool attacked that story was just so much funnier and i was like damn like this is so those four guys really got me really into it and and then the um the marathon the um the bombing where they were man hunting it kind of felt like you were a part of a community. So then you know fast forward a couple of years I'm writing with these guys and I'm you know my blog is going on the same site as theirs you know I'm getting equal real estate on the blog and you're just like damn like I read a big cat blog and then I read my blog and I'm like this guy sucks as in me <laughs> like this guy shouldn't be on the site so you have your doubts but you know like stoolies are like the loud vocal minority one percent stoolies they'll like ruin your day no matter what on Twitter. You gotta be, you have to be a little liberal with the mute button. Cause those people are just going to hate on you no matter what you say. Um, but you know, this positive reinforcement. I love this blog. You did. I love this joke you made, blah, blah, blah. And you just get a couple of those. You say, all right, I'm not so crappy after all. Like I'm my own harshest work. I'm only my own harshest critic. I hate listening to my voice on podcasts. I probably won't even listen to this. No offense. It's just because I hate listening to my own voice. I think I sound stupid. I don't think I'm very funny. I don't think anything I write is all that good. If I think I nailed the blog, I'll know I nailed the blog. But a lot of times I'm just like, eh, that isn't good. And people may say it's good, but it's just, um, that's just how my brain works. You know, it's just occasionally, you know, you nail something. You say, all right, if Dave Portnoy hired me for this site, that guy's opinion, opinion I, I respect more than anyone else. He's the one who hired all those other guys that I love reading and the guys we have now, you know what I mean? Like Nate and Smitty, like we were talking about, and even the new guys that we've hired that have all been great. Like he built this company and he said I was good enough for it. And that's kind of the thing at the end of the day where I'm like, if Dave didn't want to hire me or didn't think I was good, I wouldn't be here. And here I am. I hate my voice too. So maybe we should have just did like an AIM message and posted that on my website. <laughs> Bring that back for good old time's sake. See what we could have a conversation like that. And then when an away message goes up from either one of us, we know the conversation's over. We could have just did it that way. Yeah. I actually wanted to answer another question, uh, a question they had earlier. That I didn't really touch on, but I had just thought of the pop culture stuff. So like, obviously the Nick stuff and, you know, sports stuff, you can kind of tell what's funny, what's not, what's trending. Pop culture stuff, I kind of just went with stuff I liked or I thought other people would like. Like, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan. Dave said there wasn't a Star Wars fan in the office. He wanted a Star Wars fan, and I like Star Wars. This was before Robbie Fox. And uh, Rear Admiral was part-time. He was a – and you kind of just – you write it, and then, you know, a lot of people be like, oh, I'm so happy that someone at Barstool does Star Wars now. Just stuff like that. And you know what I realized? If I think it's interesting, there's usually someone else. It may not be the biggest pocket of people that find interesting, but like no quitters. I do the no quitters podcast that is, you know, an MTV, the challenge, the show, it's a podcast or that. And, you know, I really didn't think it was going to be the thing. And our, our listeners are some of the most rabid people. I get more, I always get more compliments about like, Oh, I love no quitters. I'm a big challenge fan. Or I started watching the challenge after I started listening to the podcast. And I'm just like, wow, really? And I, you know, I didn't know if stories were going to be, be a huge challenge group. I know big cat would blog about it. And, and, you know, he was on our podcast the first season, but, and I never really would have guessed that there would be that much of a rabid fan base. 
But, you know, you realize there's a lot of people that, you know, aren't commenting because they have plenty of other stuff to do with their lives that, you know, like and read your articles that like, hey, you know, if you see them in person, they're going to, you know, they're going to be the person who'll say, listen, love no quitters, you know, thanks a lot. Like, we've had some rough seasons, but those kind of people just keep you going and saying, all right. So, to be honest with you, I see, I see a story if I don't think it's like a very unique, very, I don't even want to say, I don't know how to say it. Like, it's not a, a small demographic, but at least something people would enjoy. I'm going to blog about it. And Barstool, it's like Dave gives you almost cr- complete creative freedom to write whatever you want. You mentioned getting to write with the four original guys. We can probably throw Feidelberg into that as well because he was around. It's hard to say that they're your writing idols in a way because you're older than the majority of those guys. So, you know, it's funny to think that these are my idols, but you've done a little bit more than they have just in life in general. But the sentiment stands of these are guys that you looked up to as writers and now you're part of their group. You're now a personality at Barstool with more than 54,000 Twitter followers and people that specifically go to the website just to see what you have to say. Does that ever hit you that you've, in a sense, made it with Barstool and with Stoolies, that you're somebody that might be walking down the street and could get approached by somebody that reads your stuff and just for them to say, hey, man, thanks, and keep up everything you're doing? I mean, it still hasn't really even, like, set in. You know, I'd love to go back to myself four years ago, even, like, when I literally, if I could go back in time, one of the things I would do is i go back, I started my blog, and like I was, I also did like this was another thing I did. I made like soundboards. I made a Mike Francesa soundboard and a Barstool Sports soundboard from old clips, just for people could click a button, just to get noticed. And there was like a lot of, you know, I, I guess the word is lonely days in there when my wife was at work, and I'm like, am I doing the right thing here? I'd love to just to go back to that kind and say, you made it, dude, because it still hasn't really set in. And to anyone out there that ever says hi to me or whatever, I truly appreciate it. You know. I know a lot of people say, oh, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I've met writers and different people along the way. And I met uh, the actor who played Chris in The Wire. And, like, I just went up and said, hey, man, thank you for just doing it. I love the way you did it. And that was it. He was the nicest guy in the world. He, like, took time to, like, he, I actually, like, left him because I was, like, I felt like I was bothering him. Like, if you ever see any of us in the street, man, like, don't feel weird about it. Just say, hey, like, we're just normal guys. And, it, it's a trip that it happens to me, but it's like, it's like the biggest honor. Like the reason that it, that's the stuff that kind of at the end of the day makes it all worth it, where you're second guessing yourself. If you get like a nasty tweet from some troll, whatever it may be, you're like, Hey, yeah, you know, you have to make a paycheck. But more importantly, it's like, I write for the stoolies because that's what I am. Like I'm a stoolie. I'm the reason I'm trying to put, I'm, I put hard work into it and I'm, always like looking for stories and always on Twitter and always doing that because I don't want to make the site worse than when it was before I got there. I want to try to be on the same level. I may not be as funny as this guy or have the originality of that guy, but I'm going to put the work in and hopefully it comes out to the point where it's good enough for like the stoolies to say, Hey, this guy isn't taking anything away from the table. Well, funny enough, you did open in your first blog for the Clem Report saying the best way to make someone appreciate the job you've done is to under-promise and over-deliver. So you could probably <laughs> agree that you were able to do that. You were predicting that way back in 2013 or whatever year it was. So it's been great to see that transformation in a sense from where you've come, I'm sure, if you were to ever go back to some of your old writing to be like, man, I remember what this was like, and it's amazing how much it's changed now. Even with, as we mentioned, 
Stooley's getting to know you, especially once the move to New York happened. And one of the first introductions for some Stoolies might have been once they figured out that your commute was two and a half hours to travel to work. <laughs> I remember there was a blog from you that I'd appreciate not getting fired after Dave put out a blog saying, should I fire Clem because it takes him two and a half hours to get here? Was it a relief <laughs> when he told you that, hey, you could work from home and you don't have to worry about not being able to get here every day when they moved to New York? Yeah, it, I mean, it was a godsend. I've, I've done the commute a couple times. Like I said, when I was working at the garden, I did it. I'd stay with my, you know, then girlfriend. I'd stay at her apartment uh, here and there. But I thought, hey, I'm going to be able to do this commute. I love Barstow. And literally the first day I was shot by the end of it. And I was like, I can't do this. It's a beast because it's like, you know, the train is itself is like 80 minutes. It's not terrible, but it's like you're going from Grand Central. You got to take the subway down and blah, 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 blah. And then on the train back, you have to, I have to drive back to my house. You know, those, that, those are minutes that count. Um, and Dave just made an offhand remark that first day. It was like, hey, Clint, how long can you get in? He probably thought it'd be like an hour, I'd say, or something. And I'm like, two and a half hours. And he was like floored by it. He wrote that blog. I remember I wrote the, the, the reply blog later that day, the rebuttal. And then he texted me that night at like 8 o'clock. And, you know, Dave does not, you know, reach out all that often. I remember when I was trying to like figure out how I was going to get paid and direct deposit. Like I had to call Kevin. I was like, Kevin, I emailed him like twice, three times the last two weeks. He never got back to me. So he would be the one to be like, Dave, Clem needs like important stuff. He's going to start working here full time. And he reached out to me completely on his own without me saying a thing and was like, and I was in my like, crap, I'm going to have to just grind it out and whatever. And Dave literally wrote to me, he's like, hey man, listen, he's like, we love having you here. I love, you know, I appreciate you coming in. He's like, you come in whenever you want and you work, you know, if you want to come in, we love having you. You work at home as much as you want, but whenever you want to come in, come in. That's the reason that, you know, we're kind of always on call as bloggers and, you know, we, we love our jobs, but it's like everything else. It's a grind. There's not a lot of stories sometimes or you're just not having like a funny day or a good day or you're tired, whatever it may be, but you still have to like kind of put yourself out there and like things like that just makes you want to just, you know, fight, keep fighting for the guy and for the company. And, uh, and Erica actually reached out to me as well separately on a separate text and was like, Clem, just want to let you know, like, you know, if you want to come in, you can, but if you want to work from home and, I was like, yeah, guys, probably going to be doing that a lot more at working from home. And, you know, I go in, like, I try, I, I try to get in at least once a week. We do the pod fathers. We have the studio. Just, and to be honest with you, keeps me sane. Gets me out of the family life for a little bit here with the kid. Just, you know, we're driving up the walls. Whenever there's, like, a big event, I'll make sure I'm in. And, you know, everyone's happy. It's been very interesting, amazing, all sorts of adjectives to watch how Barstool Sports has grown Within just the past year alone, once the Chernin group took over, in a sense, as far as ownership goes, Dave Portnoy obviously still controls content as a major cog in what goes on. But things started happening, even going as far as getting on the Comedy Central, though you didn't get to make that trip, unfortunately. <laughs> Everything that happened with the Super Bowl, the list can go on and on with what's happened to Barstool just from making the move to New York and just from what's happened within the past year. Some people have enjoyed what's happened with content, with all the podcasts that have developed, how the website has changed. Other old stoolies sometimes say that it's not the same and things have changed and we hate it, but they're still commenting on it and still taking in the content. So <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how they balance that, but in general for you, has there been a big talking point with what's changed the most from when you first started to where we're at now? Um, 
I just, I think there's like a little bit of direction, which is nice. You know, like it always just seemed like stuff was just getting thrown up against the wall and there'd always be, you know, Hey, no one loved the old Barstool as much as I did. Cause that's when I fucking fell in love with it. And like basically put all my eggs in, like, hopefully I can get a job here's basket. You know that I don't know how much that was really going to be sustainable. I mean, it could have probably been a business for a while, but I don't know if you can just keep guys. You know, everyone's getting older. That whole crew is getting older, and like sooner they have to make decisions of like family and you know making some money and and do you know no health. That was like the joke was the no health care and stuff like that. But it's like that that's not really a funny joke once you're in like your thirties and forties, and it's like my job's not paying for my health insurance or you know something goes down or whatever. Um, I think there's, you know, it's definitely not going to be what it was in terms of like that exact site. It's going to change, but you know, there's no part of my take or, you know, part, I guess there is a part of my take, but like part of my take can't do some of the stuff they could do if that doesn't happen. And, you know, all the different podcasts, we don't have the pop brothers, you know, mixtape and we don't have a studio and we don't have all these different things. And we get all these new bloggers and stuff like that. And that's because of the Trinity and all these videos that we pumping out videos all the time. Now we got Donnie does, we have traps coming you know like all these things are things that don't happen without the turn and move and all that stuff and i mean i understand where they're coming from and they think things have changed i hate no one hate i hate change i hate it i hate it i hate it but um i just think that that it's that for what the company can can become and is like i just think it's a no-brainer i think you almost i think there's just so many positives that can come out of it it's like there might be a little bit of change on the site but you know, there's also like the world's going to change and that's that old site, you know, may not make it. I'm sure people didn't like when it wasn't a newspaper anymore, you know, and people didn't like it when you know, some of the old writers left and then some of the new writers came in that they loved. And it's always a battle, um, you know, and, and hey, stoolies are my favorite community in the world. I love them. Um, and they shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't just want to just stay status quo. You should always want to evolve. So I think the site's only going to get better and bigger. and you know, once we can put some, you know, we're putting real money into it and we put real resources, like the sky's the limit. Like we're always going to be barstool. Like I go to that office full of idiots, like those guys haven't changed one bit since the first day I met them. And it's just, uh, you know, I, I think people just have to just the people that like really, if, if you're done with it, you're done with it. Like, I'm sorry we lost you. You're gone or whatever, but um, there's no one else who does what we do the way we do it. And I think it's only going to make us better the way, the way that we're growing, you know? It's fun, man. We're playing in the toy store. You know, we're in the kids section. It's always they always say about sports. It's like you know, you're working in the kids in, in the toy store section of like life. I understand people have their things about working for free and giving your time and whatever. And you know, I'm sure there's times my wife's like, I, this idiot's still on his phone or he has to blog right now. I'm like, a, it's like a nice barbecue and he's going to his thing blogging, you know, <laughs> a thousand words about why he hates Steve Mills and James Dolan. But it's like it is what it is, like. I wouldn't trade my job for anything in the world. Again, it's like, it's, it's your passion. And like, what's more important at the end of the day, like sure family and friends and all that stuff. Like my family and friends are still going to be there. It's not like I have to like trade them away. Like we're not always on call, you know, like the blog isn't a hundred plus blogs a day from Monday through Friday, but the weekend it's not nearly as crazy as that. And when, if important stuff breaks, you can't just wait till Monday. Cause if I'm, cause you know what I think if I was a stoolie and I was in a barstool, I'd want to know what barstool had to say about it. And if it doesn't have to wait till Monday, I prefer it not wait till Monday. And, um, you know, it's kind of how I got my stuff. Like I said, like Kevin said, if you can, if anything breaks on Saturday, you can do it. And I was like, that was my call. Like 
I got to do it. And I did it for free. And they say, don't work for free. Well, if I didn't work for free, I wouldn't have this job I have right now. And it's like, I understand why some people think that's the case. But in a time where, hey, I never thought I'd be any kind of a writer at all. But in a time where great journalists are getting laid off for different reasons, like, I got my job the way I got it. And, like, I'm not going to apologize to anyone for it. And I would, and I'd do it again if I had to. I'd do it a thousand times in a row if I had to. You remember the the glory days, I guess you would say, when the Boston teams are doing well. People were bringing their laptops to the bar or to Super Bowl parties just to make sure they would have their blogs ready that night to get something out about wherever they were. And Dave expected that. And it's just, I think that's carried over. I would be the same way because if you build up an audience, you sort of feel like you have a reason to give them what they want to hear or you have an obligation to do so. So I didn't build a following. I got to have to just leave them high and dry whenever even like a, a seven out of 10 story breaks. It's not the craziest thing, but like you build, you build this audience and you guys, they, they, they trust in you and, and enjoy reading you. I don't think you should just leave them high and dry. And, and especially if there's something that's anywhere near important or entertaining. I mean, I think big cat has talked about it a lot, you know, like, like a lot of the parades he had a miss, we you know, had the Blackhawks parade and the Cubs parade and stuff like that. You know, like you said with the Boston teams, there's always like a blogger who's like blogging during Super Bowls or during the parades again. And everywhere I go, I have my laptop in the car with me. It's always with me. Or at least know there's a computer there that I can just get on the site because like we're not writing, you know, these huge, long, crazy, in-depth articles or making a couple dick jokes or fart jokes or whatever it may be and and giving our two cents on some sort of silly, stupid trade or a, a viral video or something. It's, it's not like we have to perform brain surgery. So if all that stuff wasn't there, it's like the perfect job. It's like, hey, that's the least of my concerns is having to, you know, write a little on the weekends or do something that is, you know, like I said, I worked at USA Today. I was working seven to five, two to 12, 2 p.m. to 12 a.m. or 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. And like, that was a real problem for me. And that was like a real journalism kind of a job, you know? This is like, I'm always on call, but I'm never really have to be on if you know what i mean like i i think i prefer that than having to be in front of tv four days a week for 10 hours a day so if a ceo remembered me enough during a job interview process to text me on the weekend and knew my number and knew my name and wanted to check in i would melt so <laughs> erica if you're listening the line's always open feel free to shoot me anything you need you eventually got to work alongside those whose content you used to enjoy, as we've been talking about, and you got to know everyone, especially now with plenty of new hires, new interns, new people always coming through the door, knowing those people as people instead of just personalities behind a keyboard or behind a blog. And there's always some sort of chatter among stoolies or people that don't necessarily like the site trying to pit people against one another. Like Erica thinks this way and Dave against these guys and Smitty against Nate and Tex against whomever he's in an argument with now seems to be the new thing as well. There's always fights that people want to see happen, think that will happen. But I always have gotten the sense that when we come down to it, and especially now that everybody's under one roof, you guys are much more of a collective family than you are trying to go against each other and be villains and tear people apart and try and outdo one another when it comes to a blog or a podcast. 
Is that sort of how the behind the scenes of this curtain is when it comes to Barstool, that everybody has that one goal in mind? There's a lot of closeness and a lot of friendships and a close-knit family that you guys have become over the years and not this type of chaos that people might think it might be. Yeah, I mean, I think when you, you know, when I started at Barstool, for example, you know, part-time or even full-time, and I wasn't seeing people on a daily basis, like, it's like, oh, you know, whoever it may be, like, I like, you know, they're my friend on Twitter, and I'm sure I like him in real life, but I don't know anything about them, and, you know, that, at the end of the day, like, that's just, you know, like, a guy that I would like reading or, like, his stuff, but, you know, it's also, like, the guy I gotta, you know, when a blog would go up, it's kind of like chaos, like, you know, if, say, a Tommy Lasorda blog comes out, that's a big cat thing, right, or, you know, if Alina Dunham thing came out, that's a Kevin KFC thing, whatever it may be, but if, like there's something like Game of Thrones thing. There's like eight different people that could take Game of Thrones, and I'm like, I gotta get that up before anyone else. So I think that rivalry can kind of come up, you know, where it's like you're fighting for that kind of stuff, where you're not as much on the same page as people. But then once you see people in person, and you're you know you get to know them, and you're talking to them, you go to the bar, whatever it may be. Like it definitely is like much more of like a camaraderie, a community, whatever it may be. Like you know, a lot of these guys they'll go out together after work, whatever it may be, and it's just nice to see that like it can kind of grow as like almost like a family. Like, you know, they play the, they have the intramural sports together, you know, the, the freaking HQ is a bar. So you, like, some of your best friendships are made at a bar, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's very cool to see how it went from kind of like, I don't want to say nomads or whatever, but it's almost like mercenaries kind of in their own little cities running, quote unquote, running their cities in terms of on the blog to like, it's almost just become like a melting pot just in New York where it's just random people. And we're all kind of just, building the site of Barstool up, but, um, you know, that's the other thing too, like when you see someone online or you see someone in a video or the way, you know, they may be perceived online or whatever it may be, you may have one thought of how that person is or acts or whatever. And then you see them in real life, you're like, Oh, this person is it's pretty, it's a pretty nice person. Like, it's just like somebody get misconstrued or whatever. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent honest. I'd let you know, like I was at, at every job I've been to, I've had like, you know, it's either a person or a group of people you're just like, eh. Like, everyone at Barstool, when I come in in the morning, there's not one person like, oh, crap, I got to talk to this guy or girl. Like, literally every single, every single person there I like, and maybe that's just me, but, you know, I've been at a lot of other companies where it hasn't been like that. I'm like, this is a pretty unique situation we have here, and it's pretty cool. And I'm sure that's not the case for everyone in the company. I mean, there's a reason why people enjoy, like, coming back and reading us and stuff like that, because I think we are some pretty decent and, you know, entertaining people. Another big moment for Stoolies as far as the content you were able to produce where they really saw you in action to incorporate writing and video man on the street was when you traveled to Latvia to tell the tale of the home of Kristaps Porzingis, which now bears some sort of resemblance to your Twitter name of Clemzingus. I don't know who took that first. I'm not going to call any names, but... That's just uh, where we stand now. I'll definitely attach those to my show notes because it's one of the great mini documentaries of sorts that Barstool has ever put out for you and Hank to be able to go out there and, and tell that tale. What was that trip like for you as one of your first maybe main things that you did over a long period of time for the stool? And what do you really remember most from it now? Yeah, I mean, I, it's pretty vivid for me. So I started in November. Porzingis was you know, drafted that, that June and his started his rookie year with like that November basis when I started. I'll never forget. So 
you know, I'd always get people say, like, hey, Clem, you should go to Latvia. You love Porzingis, this and that. And uh, actually, the reason I, the way I got Clemzingis was there was somebody who tweeted at me, and their name was whatever his, like, whatever the guy's last name was, Zingus, kind of like mine was Clemzingis. And I said, hey, man, I love that idea. You mu- can I take that? And he said, yeah, go for it. So shout out to him. I, I verified, I asked, and I mean, I'm sure he wasn't the first person, and I definitely wasn't the second person. But, like, I had it out there, and it just kind of stuck, and, like, I see no reason to change it. Um, but anyway... I'll never forget, like, people would always say you should go visit Latvia, this and that, and I'm like, guys, I'm terrified of Latvia. I don't know what Latvia is. In my mind, it was either, like, a black and white, communist block country that was, like, still stuck in, like, the 40s, like, the mid-40s, like, world, post-World War II Cold Warship, or it was, like, guys in lederhosen, like, bopping around, like, a fantasy German world. Like, I had no idea what to expect of Latvia. But I'd always get tweeted, and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then one day, someone tweeted at Dave and was like, you should say come to Latvia. And I wrote, you know, I just tweeted, and I was like, I'd go. Like, I, I've written that a thousand times at different school stoolies. He must have just been tagged in that one. Or he must have saw that one, because he was tagged a lot in them. He must have saw that one, and he emails me. And was like, you should go to Latvia. That was his entire meal. I know you're kidding on Twitter, but you should go to Latvia. And I wrote back, I wasn't kidding. I'll go tomorrow if you want. And then he, and then Dave writes back again. He's not like, it's like probably the first email I've gotten from Dave since I started at Barstool. And probably like the fourth email since. I've probably received four emails from him since to me, max. So he goes, I CC, so then he replies, I CC'd Hank this email, plan out your trip to Latvia, blah, blah, blah. Like not time frame, not like do this, do that, not how to pay for it, whatever. I think I, I think I got Hank's number from the email. I texted him like, he's like, dude, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, man. And you know, I think we might have said hello to each other at a KFC radio event once, like in passing. It's the only time we'd ever met, really. And we basically met at JFK Airport. In like, Hank got there like as we were getting on the flight. We meet on the line, waiting to get on the flight. Flew to Moscow, and then it was like a whatever, ten hour, twelve hour, fourteen hour flight to Moscow. Then had to take like a little tiny plane to Latvia from Moscow, and dude, the like the month leading up to that trip, I'm trying to come up with ideas. I don't know what I'm gonna do. At the end of the day, I was like, the funny part is just me going to just being in Latvia because no one knows what the hell Latvia is at that point. Like no one still knows what Latvia is at this point, other than what they've seen maybe from my video. I was like, you know, I was new at the company and. You know, Dave, like I said, Dave's a nice guy, but you don't want to get on his bad side where he thinks something's bad or stupid or, you know, you're not working hard, whatever it may be. And I'm like, I kind of got to do this. I got to go through with it. I Hank was like literally like t- texting me his American Express card that he had. That was like his corporate card. Like that's how I booked the flights was through a picture of his American Express card. And it was like this like complete, you know, barstool. You always say it's like rag doll, rinky dink, like just like by construction paper, by the seat of our pants kind of operation. And like, that's what this whole thing was. And I was so nervous, man, for like that entire, you know, build up to the trip because I didn't know if it was going to be funny. I'm coming up with ideas. I just had like a, you know, my baby at that point was um, probably like a year old. And I'm starting to think, what if something happens on the flight? I'm in Latvia. God knows I got like, I'm being taken kind of stuff like William Neeson. And I'm like, what the hell is going to happen? I'm like, all freaking out about it and like the day before we left i'll never forget the day before we left like literally the day before we left <laughs> dave calls and he's like let's have a conference call on top of the trip and he's like what are you guys going to do on the trip and i had like five or six notes i'm like we could do this we could do this um there was this old play this old basketball player played for kentucky and the knicks uh george i don't know if you remember him 
he played in Lafayette, so I was going to maybe, I was like, I could do something with him. You know, I had a couple other ideas. I don't remember, like, he's like, nope, those are all terrible. <laughs> that was basically all he told me. And he goes, oh, by the way, do you have a Porzingis Dick jersey? I think it'd be hilarious if you wore that the entire time. And I was like, I was like, no, nah, man. I was like, I just wear my, like, Barstool stuff. That's the kind of, like, stuff I have for Porzingis. He's like, well, you should get a Porzingis jersey. And literally, it's snowing out of my house. It's like five inches of snow on the ground. And I'm like, Gabe, I don't have anything for you here. I'm sorry. And I'm just like, oh, God, he's going to, like, hate this video. Um, you know, I'm, he's going to hate me. But at the same point, like, I was like, we have to get to Latvia before any other of the blogs or websites do. We have to be, it'd be funny that Barstool's the first, you know? And, uh, you know, we went over there. Um, Man on the Street is, like, the hardest thing I've ever done in work in general. Everything, like, Hank would tell me, he's like, dude, when you do this, you're going to think it's terrible. But usually it ends up being a lot better, you know, and then you edit it and you kind of throw some effects in it. It's a lot better than it seemed at the time. But I was out there, dude, and I was, like, pure miserable the entire time because I'm just like, this is terrible, this isn't funny. But, you know, with editing and you just meet the right kind of characters along the way and it came out pretty good. And, like, again, like, the joke was, like, almost just the joke that we were in Latvia learning about Chris Dabbs for Zingas was, like, kind of the punchline right off the bat. So I kind of got lucky that that was kind of baked into the whole experience. But, I mean, you said, what do you think of when you think of, like, the lead-up and the trip? Like, I just think of pure terror literally until, like, the last night there. And then I was like, all right, like, I think we Hank told me we got enough good stuff. And, like, he had been through enough at that point where I trusted his, like, opinion on it. And then I had, like, night terrors, like, two nights because I have – I wake up in the middle of the night screaming. I get, like, random nightmares. Not every night, but random times. And I did that to Hank, like, twice. And the poor kid is, like, still, like, traumatized from those nights. I think at one point I'm like, we're missing our flight. He's like, Clem, what are you talking about? Like, he's, it's, like, four in the morning. And it was, like, our flight wasn't until, like – you know, one o'clock in the afternoon the next day. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was just in a bad place at that point. But uh, yeah, man, it was a trip. Tears are streaming down my face. You could not hear the <laughs> laughter, but that was probably better than the content itself. Hearing the tale <laughs> just leading up to that. And as I said, I will put that in for everyone so they can watch that as well. It's definitely a must-see video, as Barstool sometimes likes to throw out here and there, because you're only allotted <laughs> a certain number for the year. So it did yep. take some time. Porzingis finally followed you back on Twitter in June. Is that your best Twitter moment? By far. I mean, highlight of my career. If we're gonna be, like, there's nothing at Barstool that I've done before since that tops that. And it happened so like out of the blue. Like he tweeted something about shooter shoot because he had the whole thing where he was tweeting at different girls on Instagram. And I was like, I didn't even, like, people were probably asking him to follow them. And I'm like, shoot or shoot, will you be my, like, friend? You don't even have to acknowledge me. Just, like, be my friend. I didn't say follow. And he followed me that day. And I was, or that, like, that minute. And I was actually lending a hand back at my dad's store. It kind of came full circle where I was kind of blogging as I was working for him back in the day when I was just trying to make things ends meet. And he tweeted me that. I'm like, Dad, I got, like, 10 minutes. I got to write a blog right now. I just had, like, the biggest <laughs> moment of my Barstool career just happened. And I had, you know, again, the stories are awesome. And, like, even my coworkers are like, Clem, I'm so happy for you right now. And I'm like, now the only thing is I'm, like, scared to tweet too much or, like, I just, I don't, like, plan my tweets out. It's stream of consciousness stuff. It really is just right from the gut. So, like, I'm like, if I tweet too much, he's going to be, like, up, unfollow or mute or whatever you may have or whatever may have you. And then people are like, are you going to DM him? I'm like, you out of your mind? DM him? Are you fucking crazy? Like, I'm scared he's going to even ever, like, I don't even tweet at him anymore. I just kind of go my own path. So definitely a highlight. And, 
you know, I, I didn't think he'd ever follow me after he didn't follow me to that trip to Latvia. And again, shout out all the stoolies were telling me like, yo, you got to fill out a Clem. Dreams do happen. When you work, you get lucky sometimes. Would the only thing to top that be if Bruno Mars followed you back? <laughs> you know what? No, I got to go with my boy Porzingis. Porzingis was number one, but Bruno Mars is a close number two for sure. Um, I mean, you know, Porzingis, I think we all know his ceiling. Like Bruno, I Bruno and Porzingis, like they both are, they could both be the best at their profession in the world in a given year, potentially, if everything were to, you know, break right. Like I set myself with high standards, I know, but uh, Bruno was a close number two. The thing is, my wife was happy for me when I got followed by Porzingis. She would actually like, for like the first time, be impressed by something I did if Bruno followed me because I turned her into a diehard Bruno fan now. So that would probably be like Mrs. Clem. Would, would, that would be a win for me at the household where she's actually like, oh, you're not just an idiot blogger. You're an idiot blogger that Bruno actually cares what you have to say on Twitter here and there. So that would be big in that respect. Calls from the neighbors about loud music bellowing from the Casa de Clem, but once the police come, they'd probably understand the reasoning for it. Is there a top three for your Bruno Mars fandom when it comes to his bangers? I know this is going to be difficult to pick. On the spot, you got me. All right, let's see. Number, we're going to start, we're going to go backwards. We'll start number three. Number three, we're going to go... I'm trying to think if there's any, like, I like his new album. I don't love it, though. I really do like it, but I don't love it. Number one, okay, I'll just start at number one, When I Was Your Man. I think that is his best song. Like, that's the thing. It's not a banger. You're not dancing. It's very rare. You're not even making babies to the song. But it's just a good, it's like, I feel like that is like Mozart probably was writing his music. Like, there's probably some musical analytical thing that I, I my brain doesn't even get. That's how good his shit is, like. When I was your man, it just, it just sounds like a song. So that's number one. Number two, I'm going to say Gorilla, which was a, like, a lot of his, a lot of the ones I like are his hits, unfortunately. I hate to sound like the guy that like just going right off the radio, but number two is Gorilla. Number three, Bach Out of Heaven. I mean, it's just, it's the, it's the, it's the big three, but. I mean, like, who are everyone's favorite Heat players in those years? LeBron, Wade, and, and Bosch, you know, Steph, Durant, Draymond. God, that's for a reason. He, he knew what he was doing. But I can listen to his first two albums front to back. Like, that's just one of the, like, that's how I know I love an artist is when I can just do the entire album and not skip a track. And that's what I am with Bruno. Plus, he's and a beautiful let man. Let me say this much. Natalie on his second album is, like, my underrated, like, Love that song, kind of. And It Will Rain. We'll go five here. We'll go Natalie and It Will Rain, which was off of the, um, one of the Twilight movies. And, my, and Wifey likes that because she likes the Twilight movies, or the books, I should say. So we'll throw that on the list, too. You're also obviously known as a snack connoisseur and built up quite an audience for your 15-second food reviews. <laughs> and I'm not going to admit to knowing what it might be like to binge-watch, say, 100 of those at a clip one night back in the day when I didn't have much to do, but I can only understand what it might be like to do something like that. People can do so maybe if they like on the Clem Report YouTube page, as we've been mentioning. The reviews are unique in that for many of them, you can only see half your face. There's a ranking system involved for each snack. What made you decide to do a series like that and sort of develop a brand like that as well for yourself? You know, I, I just was just trying to, like, you're just trying to get noticed at that point. And like, that was, you know, again, when I was in, like, my own blog and trying to get, and I said, hey, what's something that I can do that I have, like, a little bit of, 
I don't want to say expertise in, but as you can tell by the size of me, I know my way around the snack cabinet. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to have some fun with this. And I said, and there's two reasons it was a 15-second review. One is I was like, if I had to watch, like, you see reviews of people doing stuff all the time, and not even just Dave's Pizza reviews, but, you know, there's people who do snack reviews or drink reviews, whatever it may be. You know, it's two minutes, three minutes long. And, again, I know what my attention span is like, and I know a lot of people are similar to me. So I just said, you know, let's get it like 15, 30 seconds. And the only way I could do the whole thing where I could record the bag of the chips or whatever and then twist the camera around was using and making it like one long video was using Instagram. And at that point, they capped out at 15 seconds. So I was like, well, it's 15 second food reviews. And I would do it on Instagram. It was saved to my camera. Then I put it on Twitter and then put it on YouTube. And literally, that's just kind of how I, uh, I got it started. And um, it kind of like made me have to like be a little quicker and, you know, try to get the jokes in or, you know, get the review in. But like, if you're looking at Twitter, someone tells you a 15 second review and can, you know, make you laugh or creep you out in that 15 seconds. Like, that's all you can really ask for. And for anyone that did go down that 100 plus video rabbit hole, I would like to apologize for any weird feelings that may have given you along the way. It's a weird, wild place. My brain was especially weird back then. It's kind of like oatmeal now, but back then, a lot of weird places. You know, it's just fun. Like, if I like, if I have fun, like I said, same with if I just tweet something, stream of consciousness, and I'm gonna have fun. And if people like it, then cool. And if not, then I apologize. But it's kind of just one of those things that just to get noticed. And you know, no one's gonna read like a 20-page thing about why i love reese's peanut butter cups but a 15 second review about it like everyone has similar everyone has an opinion on junk food it seems and you know drinks even with sprite or pepsi or coke or gatorade and it's like just one of those things that everyone kind of has a, a opinion on and I, I i like i said i've been around the snack the snacks while whenever i'm at a party i'm looking to see what kind of chips are there and stuff like that so um it's just something that kind of resonated with people and Again, like the positive reinforcement when people go, I love these things, or give me more, or, or I didn't throw up watching you eat all those times somehow. Like, that says, all right, well, if people like this, I'm going to keep doing it. So, uh, and it kind of just gives you a creative outlet to get stuff out there. I don't want to keep putting you on the spot. So, I'll even go as far as taking the numbers out. Top snacks and worst snacks that you've come across during these reviews. <sighs> okay. I know I can give you a couple of them off the top of my head. I apologize for anything I forget. Uh, the Reese's peanut butter cup with the pieces inside that got a 10. It was going to get a 10 unless it wasn't a 10. If that makes any sense. That is like, I'm not a dreamer. I don't, I'm not a guy who's going to invent something new and crazy. that's going to change the world. Whoever thought of that is an inventor. And that is like a dream. I never knew that I had in my life. So that was a 10 because it hit exactly the level. A lot of times you, it doesn't hit what you think you're going to do. That did the Oreo. There's an Oreo candy bar. It's out right now, actually. I think Mondo makes it or something. That was that was another one I thought I thought that was going to be bad. It was in my in the words of Chaps, actually good. I think it was like a nine point four. And then there was the Oreo Cinnabon. And what they've been doing is, uh, you know, Oreos are doing a lot of like remixes and new flavors and stuff. And a lot of them haven't really hit. I don't forget that one. That was incredible. It tastes like Dunkaroos, and you know it's good when they're still making them like a year later. So they must've been a hit. And then the other, the last one that I know I loved was the Sweetos, which was like Cheetos, but with like cinnamon and sugar. Those are incredible. And then I'll never forget. I think it's called Greek gyro Lay's chips. Those got a zero. They were like, the like my mouth 
I wanted to throw up by the end of them. And that's how you got your start with everything was those. I think they released them in fours when Lay's was trying to find the new flavor. That was really what got this all going. I do remember that review, and I'm not surprised that it got such a low score of nothing. Do never, never let this enter your taste buds because they're that bad. That series in general has sort of been expanded and revamped now in a new series called Snacking Off, which features yourself and KFC now reviewing snacks. You've got a full camera crew now. You've got a nice booth. All the bar stool bells and whistles are going to this. Are you excited to bring this back in a sense, revamp it in a, in a way, team up with Kevin and start taking this off again? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we would have me and him would go back and forth on Twitter. We just go like, if I like something or he didn't like something, like we just get into each other. You know what I mean? And then some stewards would take his side, some would take my side, and it just became a war. And you know, one thing I noticed about Kevin, you know, especially through his writing, and then as I got to know him, like we have a lot of similarities in terms of our teams. Um, obviously, we're both dads in terms of similar with our kids' age, and we're both from like the Westchester area. And there's like we have a lot of like similarities in our personalities, the good and the bad. He's a lot more of a hater than I'll ever be, but we do have some similarities. So I think when we we kind of have a little bit of a chemistry with that, and again, like you could just talk snacks with anybody, and um, me and him, like we could just get in a booth, and there's like you know there's like ten minutes of that footage, and they cut you know down to two minutes or whatever of us just you know yapping about whatever. And I think people like it because it's just everyone has those conversations about how how much they love double stuffed Oreos or how dunking your milk and how you dunk your cookies in the milk and stuff like that. It's just the little things in life that, that are just fun. So I'm absolutely thrilled. It was actually Kevin and Brendan Clancy was the one who um, was like, Hey, we should do this. They came up with the snacking off name and I was like, I'm sold. We just go and you know, you don't really plan anything. We kind of just go. We just, it just evolves into its own thing. So I, I could, I'm, I'm over the moon happy that, you know, I think a 15 second video is a little short for like anything that could really become like a legit franchise or video thing on the site. So like two and a half minutes, I think that's a pretty good size and kind of gives you a need. And to be honest with you, like if it was me at home, I'd want to know if those snacks are good or not. And like I said, you can't trust a ball barber and you shouldn't trust a skinny guy giving you your snack review. Kevin's skinny, but he's skinny fat and I'm fat fat. So we'll give you the real deal, holy field on what those snacks are. That's an amazing way to put it, and I do take it into consideration sometimes when I'm walking down the snack aisle, especially closer to the Oreos, because as you mentioned, sometimes they get carried away with these flavors, and it's like, can we just stick to the basics? They're not all going to hit, but sometimes they just go a little bit overboard. And moving to New York, as we've talked about, both of you guys, yourself and Kevin, are also able to team up with Chaps for the Podfathers podcast, where you guys spend some time as it says, breaking down the good, the bad, and the ugly of fatherhood and filled with hilarious stories every episode. Funny for both parents who know what you guys are talking about and even guys like me who are just listening because of the dynamic the three of you have together, which started pretty much right away. Not something that you're always able to hear with shows, especially when you're bringing in a new personality and trying to get used to each other and not being in the same room. The three of you guys just clicked immediately. How much fun have you been having with this show so far? Getting to talk about more of an adult thing, if you will, but making it fun as well. I love it. I mean, I, I do think it's something that's a little different than, you know, it's, it's another thing that the old bar school, there was no fathers because Dave was the oldest. He didn't have kids and everyone else was like in their 20s, living the 20s life. So it's definitely cool to just do something new that hasn't been done before on our network. And like you said, like, you know, 
those guys are hilarious. And I listen to Chab Zero Block Dirty. I listened to KSC Radio for years too. Like it's just it's like you're just talking to your buddies and stuff. And that's why I think the bar stool dynamic works because it really is like you're just at a bar stool at a bar like. You're just riping about, you know, your kid not eating goddamn anything but chicken fingers or, you know, your kid saying fuck her because, you know, she hears you saying it and stuff like that. And there's just, we had an episode last week where, you know, we're trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. We always try to get a couple talking points or whatever beforehand. And we really didn't have much. And we kind of just like winged it and freestyled and, and a bunch of people were like, hey, that was, you know, one of the episodes I liked the most, this and that. And it's just like. That's great to hear because, like, that's just us just kind of giving our personal life stories and just letting it out there. And um, it's just one of those things that, I don't know, it's it's awesome. Like, I remember I did a KFC radio with Chaps and Kevin probably, was that last summer? I guess it was last summer, yeah. And I was just like, this is just a good dynamic, you know what I mean? Sometimes you can just tell. We were certain friends, you have certain dynamics with different things. And, like, when I'm with those two, it's like, this is fun. And the way kind of everyone has, like... There's the times where we team up on Kevin. There's teams I get te- times I get teamed up on. Times Chaps get teamed up on. Like there's just all those kind of dynamics you have with friends and whatever, and even family members. And like it's just kind of it, it goes with the pod pop. It's just you know not because we're similar dads or we have similar upbringings or anything like that. I just think we're just three guys that like can take a joke and have fun with each other, and that goes a long way. You might have a new story to tell when you head inside when we're done talking about what your daughter might have done while you're trying to get her on a new sleep schedule (laughs) from your wife. But in general, from the several episodes you've been able to do, do you have a favorite story you've been able to tell from an experience you've had as a father with your daughter? You know, the first one that leaps out of me when you ask that is it's so cool how I was going to Florida. Me and Robbie Fox were doing a video at the Star Wars convention. And the night before I left, we read her. My parents had gotten me a Star Wars, like, book. It was, it's more like, it's like the Far Side comics, if you remember those. It's not really like an actual storybook, like a kid's book. But, you know, I kind of made up a story for her. And it was Leia as a kid and then Darth Vader, her father. It's called uh, Vader's Little Princess, I believe is the name of the book. And I just, like, read it to her. I was like, this is Darth Vader. This is Leia. This is Daddy's going to see this weekend. I come back, I buy her a Darth Vader toy and a Leia toy from the convention, and she loved them. She had never seen Star Wars a minute in her life. Loved the toys. Like, I think, you know, it's like when your parents gave someone, like, Dad got me this, my mom got me this. It kind of means something. And she's only two and a half. She's not really like that yet. But we watched Star Wars for the first time together, and she was blown away. Like, like the opening credits and then the spaceship, she literally went, whoa. And, you know, she's in the 70s here. She probably seems crazier special effects in her cartoons every day. But it was just one of those things that just clicked with her right away. And just being able to tell those guys, like, I got a Star Wars fan in the house. Now, my wife doesn't my wife doesn't give a damn about Star Wars. But I have someone who literally comes up to me, like, daily. is like, Daddy, I want to watch Star Wars. And, like, just kind of relay, like, you get to kind of see, like, you know, Chaps and his family, Kevin and his girl, and soon-to-be boy, and then me and my kid, like, just kind of the stories that kind of evolve from us. And another thing with her, too, is, like, every goddamn holiday she gets sick or, like, any life event, like a birthday party, a baptism, no matter what it is, she's always sick. And it's kind of become almost like a running joke. Like, oh, is Sienna going to get sick this week? And it's just one of those things that I always love. I've always loved that about Barstool, where there's kind of like a running story or gag or joke or whatever it may be. So I'd say, like, the Star Wars stuff, and then, like, people laughing at my misery because my kid has a 100-degree fever, and we can't go out on the 4th of July or something like that. (laughs) A lot of things you'll be able to start with her young, to say the least, from the television shows you like (laughs) to the movies to the snacks. 
So we've already hit on the majority of everything that you cover within what you've described yourself on Twitter, but people might not be aware that who they see as your Twitter profile picture, though extremely like you, is not actually you. What is your reasoning for having that as your profile pic? A gentleman that is your real-life doppelganger. The mystery man in my picture is... Glenn Perkins of Minnesota Twins fame, uh, relief pitcher, closer. He's hurt right now. I think he's been hurt all season. You know, to be honest, there was really no like reasoning behind it. It was, I had my old blog logo. It was like the NFL logo and the baseball logo. Like I just did a little crappy Photoshop of putting them together. I was like, well, now that I, you know, I'm hired by Barstool, whatever, I could put my own face on there. But then I had, someone had noticed once we were playing fantasy baseball that Glenn Perkins looks just like me. Now, granted, this is like about five years and a few pounds ago that that was, you know, me and Glenn Perkins looked exactly alike. When I say he looked like me, when I changed my profile picture to Glenn Perkins, like KFC, um, Beardo, who what used to write on KFC on uh, Barstool as well, you know, other people who have met me along the way and the people who aren't even Barstool readers who just would see it. I told them it wasn't me. They couldn't believe it, that it wasn't true. And I'm like, no, guys, like that's Glenn Perkins. So it blew a lot of minds. And I, the reason I keep it up there is because it just makes me laugh because I see it and I see that person as me and it's not me. And that really mind fucks me every single time I think about it. I don't even think about it anymore. I'm just like, oh, that's me, but it's not me, which is really weird. So I've never had a doppelganger before. It's my first one. And I just love it to death. So Glenn Perkins is here for a while until something better comes out. I mean, you might have to really, really grow out a beard to look like him now. (laughs) But what's going to be great is now people are immediately going to go to your Twitter and stare at that picture and just shake their head. (laughs) There's no way this is not Clem. So that's going to leave people with with a mindfuck. Really, it will. Yep. And like I now like love Glenn Perkins. Like, I tweeted at him a bunch. He doesn't reply back because he's like, "Who the hell is this weirdo tweeting me?" I'm like, oh, like, "Like, you know, congrats, Glenn. You know, we did it. Or twins. Anywhere he plays for the Twins, which is kind of a stupid fun thing I have with it. And uh, I would draft him in fantasy every year. I was like, gotta have my doppelganger on my team, which worked out pretty good for. Him. He was always like a little undervalued, so I'd always get him and he'd get me a bunch of saves. But yeah, it's it was either that or like just using half my mouth when I did all my 15 second food reviews. Like I like to have a little bit of fun with the avatars. My kid drew me a funny picture of me once. I thought about putting that as the avatar, but I was like, I'll just throw that one on Instagram instead. And uh, Glenn Perkins is there for the foreseeable future. I actually, I just noticed yesterday I was on the site and I noticed that like all of our avatars are what we used to have on the old site. So I now have to go back and put Glenn Perkins on. So I got to do that one of these days this week before I forget. Well, if we're going to bring everything full circle, maybe you're just going to have to go to his hometown, wherever that is. I believe he is from Minnesota. And if you visit there and talk to the people about his childhood, he might eventually follow you on Twitter, much like a certain <laughs> Porzingis did. We've got all and the answers. ESPN, ESPN will put a piece on Glenn Perkins two years later. Absolutely. Like, yeah, guys, you guys are played again. <laughs> So people probably want to know, based on what you have to do to get to the office, what you have to do as a blogger, what a typical day is like. And I guess we could take the travel away if you have to come into the city aside and just focus on what you're usually doing when you get up, how you're able to generate content throughout the day, and when you finally rest your head at night. 
Yeah, so I'll give you a quick breakdown kind of uh, the at-home day and then when I come into the city day. When I'm at home, basically, you know, with the kid, it's it's a complete X factor. This would be such a perfect job for me. I think anyone can say it. Like, I think Kevin could probably say it. Chaps probably says it. Like, well, Chaps maybe a little longer, but like five years ago, this was like the perfect, this would have been the perfect job for me. Like, I would have woke up at, you know, 7.30, go up, do my thing, whatever. Now it's like, I'm up early. I'm I'm staying up late when she wake, when the kid wakes me up. I'm all over. But basically, what I try to do is to make sure I'm not just up but out of bed and like actively searching for stories from say, I don't know, 7:30 on. Um, the hardest part of the job, for at least for me, in my opinion, is just finding the stories. You know, finding something that is not only like bloggable and like interesting, but like you know, you can make jokes about it and whatever. And there's just so much stuff that's always coming out. And a lot of times the stories will come out, say, during the afternoon or whatever. So from 7.30 on, I'm trying to get some stuff, you know, maybe something that had gone crazy the night before, something that had kind of, you know, bubbled up that, this mor- that morning. I'll check Twitter. I'll check a bunch of different, like, newspapers, websites, stuff like that, like newspaper sites, and then just regular sites. Like, I'll look at Reddit as well. Just, you know, and people sometimes will drop me a tip in the email, stuff like that, or on Twitter. And uh, then from there, it's like, you know, once you know the first story you want to write, you kind of just get started. You know, there's a, you don't want to like sleep on a good story too long because then it might get snagged by someone else. And then basically the rest of my day is kind of just trying to find more stories. The, the second I find one, just throw it in drafts, get it started. Um, the second hardest part of the day is to like day in, day out, like, I wouldn't even say be funny, like just try to be funny and hopefully have some ideas flowing. I mean, just like any other job, I think there's ebbs and flows and you just try to like battle through it. And, you know, if you're not feeling particularly funny or your brain's just not clicking that day, uh, you just got to keep writing through it. And then that keeps going until five o'clock. The way the site used to be, where it was like every city had their own thing, I think it's kind of lightened up as we've got more writers and there's different ways to consume content. There's just so much stuff on the Barstool site now as maybe compared to, you know, five years ago or whatever. I'll usually do the editing for New York a lot. So, like, if uh, Hubs has a Yankee blog, JJ has a Yankee blog, you know, Connor, 610... Charlie Whisker, any of those guys who, you know, go on the New York site, even though it's all going to the same super page anyway, um, I'll kind of just make sure I'll schedule it so then we don't have everything going up at one time. And then once, say, 5 o'clock hits and, you know, we're, we're done for the day in terms of the site, I'll, you know, do dinner, the kid, the whole nine. But the thing is, I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I'm always on Twitter. I'm always connected. I have... You know, I, I'm a diehard sports fan, so I'm just monitoring. I have, you know, alerts for when breaking news stuff breaks and stuff like that. I'm occasionally, you know, I don't really watch ESPN anymore, unfortunately, because ESPN is kind of what it is now. But, uh, you know, I'm always having my head in there. And if, if I'm on Twitter, I see something break, and I think it's something that I should be um, weighing in on. I'll go to the site and, you know, just put something up either for that night if it's important or it's big or it's something that's really not that pressing and, you know, no one, it, it, people, a lot of times people consume Barstool from work. I'll just, you know, set up a draft, block something at night, and then schedule it for the next day when people are in, you know. Basically, if, if you notice how the site works, I always feel like from 8.30 to like 9, 10, 15, we have like our wake up with where people will just blog, you know, different, a quick blog about a song or a girl or, you know, a YouTube video. And then from like 9.30 on is when the site is 9.30 to say 
5.30 is kind of when the site's actually producing the content. That's when I'll schedule the blogs to go out then. And that's basically the day there. When I come in the city, it's up by, I mean, this morning I, I came in the city. I was up at 6 a.m., showered, did the whole nine, left the house at like 7 o'clock, got on the 7.29 train, got into the city at like 9 o'clock-ish, and then took the train, got in the office around 9.15. So, I mean, it was like a two, hour, two hours and 15 door-to-door, but, you know, it's with parking and driving to the train and the whole nine. And then basically it's the same thing there, like, the only thing is now, obviously, unless I got something done the night before or I found something on the train, I was able to write it. I'm kind of back to square one where I'm 9.15 or whatever time I'm getting at 9 o'clock. You know, just keep grinding and, and going about my day. And then once 5, 5.30 hits, head back uh, head back on the train and back up north. And that's, that's the day. What I can say and what I told you we would say for last, and I will not hit on for very long because you have to do this for your job, unfortunately far more than you'd like to, is maybe not direct her in the way of liking a New York sports team as you unfortunately <laughs> have to do. Or if you do, maybe pick a different one than the two that you've picked because there are a couple to choose from if you really want to take that leap. You've teamed up with KFC again for doing what's called Mets therapy, some podcast where you guys are just able to rant about the New York Mets, whatever's going on with them. You've been in the electric chair next to him for a brutal wild card loss in the ninth inning against the New York Giants. Really one of the first times the electric chair was put into use. It was great to watch, but I'm sure awful <laughs> to be sitting in. Going to the Knicks, I do have to say that even though you're hurt because the team is so bad. We love watching that hurt happen because of the content we get from it. From the short video of James Dolan playing the kazoo with that stupid band JD in the straight shot to the fired Dolan shirt that you've been able to make, standing outside Madison Square Garden, hissing and yelling about how awful the team is. The content that comes from the unfortunate losing is enjoyable to fans, but I guess the question that everybody probably would ask you is, what are you doing to yourself in liking both the Knicks and the Mets? Is there going to ever be a light in the tunnel where you'll one day get to say, this suffering was all worth it? <sighs> I don't know, man. I, you know, we always <laughs> say on the Podfathers, will you raise your kid as your, you know, like say you live, leave town, like you raise your kid as the team you grew up with or the, the local teams or whatever. And then we even say with Kevin, like you raise your kid as Jets, Mets, Knicks, <laughs> you know, like are you really going to make them do that? As someone who's a dad, like I just could imagine like rooting from different teams than my kid. Now, luckily I will say that I like Sienna. Do you like the Mets? Do you like the Mets? And she's like, ah, like, she doesn't really know. Do you like the Knicks? Ah, she doesn't really know. Do you like the Giants? I like the Giants. So like the one team, I like my one bright spot, she seems to have already gravitated towards. So I'm, I'm actually hoping she just was a football fan and is like completely doesn't care about baseball and basketball. That's like the best case scenario. But, like, I don't know, Misery loves company. I'd love to have her with me. I'm like, I'll feel really bad about it by, like, the age of 10 when she actually, like, starts really caring about the wins and losses. In terms of will I ever say it's all worth it, I will say this. I said it, I, shit, I said it, like, 2000, I think it was 2015, like, before the season. I said, the Mets are on the way up. They had the pitching arms. Everyone was healthy at that point. And I was like, the Mets are like the cicadas, like, and the Mets fans are like the cicadas. Like, it comes like once every 10 years, but once we're here, we're loud and you can't get rid of us. And then we just die and we disappear for like another decade. 
we're basically dying right now is like our players are dying. But uh, if a couple of breaks go the right way in that World Series, we, that it would have all been worth it. Just one title. Like, all I need is one title. I'm a Syracuse fan. They won their title with Melo. I was thrilled. That's all I need from them. The Giants, I remember the 90 title. I don't remember 86. But, like, once I mean, with the Patriots, that was, like, an all-timer. I was like, you know what? The Giants never win. I can, like, I can die in peace. The Knicks, the Knicks is tough because that team, I've never loved a team like I loved, like, the 90s Knicks. Like, that was, like, when I really loved sports. And when sports mean a little too much, that was the Knicks. And I remember saying to myself in 99, this is sick, John. I said to myself in 99 when they made it all the way to the finals, they go, are the Knicks just going to be good my whole life? Oh, and I no. thought to myself, this is crazy. And literally, like, James Dolan bought the team, like, that day. And, like, it was, like, just started just, you know, ramming a knife down its throat. It's almost like those Cavs fans who suffered, or just Cleveland fans in general, they suffered all those years. I'm sure they'll say that one title made it all worth it, especially, you know, against the 73-9 and nine Warriors. Um, there's also a good chance I'm never going to see that. Luckily, I have the Giants who've given me enough great memories to like, and they're no bargain to root for either, but they've given me enough good memories that like, at the end of the day, I think I'll be all right. But I don't know, man. I, I, I That's why I'm fine. Like, if she doesn't want to root for them, I'm not going to push it. If I have a son, same thing with him too, or another daughter. They want to do it, they can do it. But like, I, I would just hate to have like a Yankee fan, raise a Yankee fan in my house. I can't imagine the dad that have their kids that root against them for whatever reason. It just breaks my heart seeing it. Well, as I mentioned, we do enjoy the content. So at least we have that. And I wanted to <laughs> Yeah. I wanted to get you out of here with content things that I know you're going to be glued to the TV for. And you're also a co host once in a while, a writer once in a while, as in when this show finally comes back after long hiatuses. The post-Game of Thrones podcast, the writing will start picking up again for this show that's coming back. How excited are you for the return of Game of Thrones and this Season 7 to come back into our lives? I mean, I'm st- it doesn't even feel real right now. I, like, I think my brain was so used to it coming out in April and when baseball was started. That like it's almost like when like the NFL would have like a lockout and like start like four weeks later or like baseball whatever, like it doesn't even feel like it's coming this week and um, it just doesn't feel right. But I mean I'm a, I'm a hundred percent stoked. Um, it's like the fact that it's the half the season though. It's like it doesn't feel like it's a legit thing, and I'm gonna love every every second of it. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like my dumb brain is like there's only seven episodes, so it's not a full season. Like I'm not gonna be completely entranced like that's the one show at my house phone goes like the only time my phone is ever like not within five feet of me is during that show i plug it into the charger goes in the corner we turn the lights off and me and the wife just watch for an hour straight uninterrupted that never happens in this house and she probably loves it that we could actually my brain can actually turn off from on twitter for a minute um so yeah i'm a 10 out of 10 excited i have no idea what's going to come our way uh, and then, like the other thing is, like it just basically just becomes a, a work to avoid any spoilers that like some idiot's gonna drop on you, you know. So like, I also get nervous during this time that someone's gonna just drop something out. Like I, I, I missed Game Seven the of the finals last year. I turned it off from like halftime to like halfway through the third, so I could watch the Battle of the Bastards. Because I'm like, if I see a spoiler on Twitter, like my month is ruined on the spot instantly. So, hey, you know what? Like if I couldn't watch it for some reason. It's like, well, then that's on me because it's like a football. Like, you can't spoil a football game, right? It's like I, if you didn't watch the one o'clock games and you saw that the Giants won on a last second touchdown, like 
yeah, that's how it works. And, you know, Game of Thrones is no different. Like, we're living in a society where, like, everything's DVR'd and on spoiler Game of Thrones is absolved from that. It's that good and that big of a show. <laughs> 10 out of 10 excited, and I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm, I'm stoked. Clem, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the show and peeling back the curtain of what you do day-to-day with Barstool, how you got to Barstool, and some of the things that you're able to be involved with with them, not only with writing, but with their content now that's expanded to a world that I'm sure 10 years ago people couldn't have even dreamed of. And it's a pleasure getting to read your stuff, hear you on podcasts, see you on videos, the content you're able to produce day-to-day is fantastic and i hope continued success for you in doing that it was my pleasure to get to speak with you about everything you're up to and thanks so much for the time to do so i hope people enjoy everything and then go find everything that you put out because they could spend a whole week catching up on all the content you've been able to put out but continued success hopefully we can catch up down the road when maybe the mets or knicks are doing well and it won't be as negative of a conversation but uh, (laughs) until then Please keep the content coming. Everybody seems to enjoy it, myself included. And as I said, the the future looks bright for you guys. I'm looking forward to see what you have to come up with for us. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for reading, listening, whatever it may be, watching. I had a lot of fun. Let's do it again one day. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night. And also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find episodes of The Bridge on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and live on Wednesday nights on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll get back into Major League Baseball, take a look around the NBA, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.